Well, welcome. Come on in. We've got some coffee. You're still in the lobby. Make your way down. We've had a good uh, sermon series. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, Jeff preaching last week on, on leadership. And next week it's, it's Mother's Day. Uh, look forward to, uh, to that. And the week after that, we've got uh, a Pentecost Sunday. And I'm certainly looking forward to, uh, to that and seeing what uh, the Holy Spirit will uh, do in us and through us. Uh, but today I uh, want to talk about you, me, and the kingdom, as I've uh, titled our, uh, the, the, the topic for today. And if you've got a bulletin uh, insert, uh, pull it out, and you'll notice that uh, I've got two uh, points there. And they uh, seem very uh, disconnected in, in the first uh, look at them. Uh, because the first uh, thing I want to talk about is doubt. And... Uh, you know, this is sort of one of those awkward questions in church, uh, like asking yourself if you have doubt. I mean, like, doubt that God exists. Now, you know, you think, okay, this is a, a bizarre question for a pastor to be asking, and yet I tell you that many people uh, are on the front end of faith, and, and they go through this process of like, yeah, I'm not so sure I believe. I'm not so sure God exists. And uh, what I'm telling you is, if that's where you're at, you're in a good place. I, I just want to say, you're welcome to be part of this church and have questions, and have questions about faith. Obviously, uh, I don't want you to stay there. I'm trying to move you into, into faith. That's why we are a faith community. But what I am saying is, the, one of the, the better ways of growing in faith and having answers to questions is being in a faith community, uh, as opposed to just trying to figure out Jesus on your own. Uh, so uh, it, it's not unusual or unnatural for us to have questions of faith. And that can be at, at many different levels. I mean, at the first level is just, does God exist? I mean, like, really? I mean, you know, the stuff we're reading about in the Bible, uh, that God would know me personally and know you personally, and more than that, like, be interested in your life? Uh, you know, yeah, uh, it, it's natural or it's not unusual to question or to doubt. All I'm saying is process. It's okay to have those questions. You, you're still welcome to be in this community. And then, you know, life goes on, and, and uh, you'll, you'll find at some point in your life you'll have a, uh, a faith crisis. And often what happens is, uh, you've lived a certain way, you, you're doing things a certain way, you're reading the Bible, praying in a certain way, and you expect God to respond in your life in a certain way. And what happens is God responds in a totally different way. Or even worse, you just don't even see how God is responding. And you have another like crisis of faith. And so, uh, again, I... I if, if that's the situation that you find yourself in, where your faith is way up, or you find yourself where your faith is, is way down, uh, part of the process of being a follower of Christ is dealing with the struggle of faith, of the supernatural, that God is really who He says He is, and He's involved in our lives. And uh, so, although that might seem a, a strange place to start, I'm excited about... Uh, this text today, and I, uh, I want to get to this text, so let me just uh, explain to you what I want you to get out of the sermon today. 
Uh, one is dealing with this whole question of wrestling with faith. And then very fast is dealing with how does this relate to advancing the kingdom of God? What is your role in advancing the kingdom of God? And you say, those things just seem like so far apart. Uh, except to say that this is exactly what Jesus was dealing with with his disciples. So we're doing this series called The Third Day. Jesus is resurrected. And what does he do? He deals with his 12 disciples, or now 11, and their faith is like zero. And he's invested all this time in them. And he is like resurrected, and he's like appearing to them, and he's saying, okay, you guys don't get it. You don't get it. And Jesus is saying, I'll work with you. I'm going to encourage you in your faith, and I'm going to work. And then he says, I want to talk about the kingdom of God. And you think, wow, like, okay. And Jesus like on fast forward. He said, okay, let's deal with this, but let's quickly get to this next part. What are we going to do from here? So that's what I want to talk about today. And uh, let me just invite the Spirit of God uh, to do what only God can do. Uh, so uh, Jesus, I just invite your presence. And uh, I just uh, invite your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us faith. You would impart faith to us. And to those that doubt, Lord, you would uh, meet them where, where they're at. And you would reveal yourself to them. And you would strengthen and shore up those that are sagging or lacking in their faith. Uh, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, encourage each person here today personally. That you would reveal who you are to them. And Lord, I just pray that you would put power on my words to preach uh, your word and to connect where we're at with who you are and what you're doing and where you're going. So Lord, I just pray for your presence to be here today as uh, we take on this task uh, of preaching and uh, hearing from you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you uh, either follow along on the overheads or... Um, read along with me in Acts, uh, and the Bible, uh, the book of Acts is really interesting, and it's a pretty exciting book. In fact, uh, you know, if we didn't have the book of Acts, uh, there would be this huge disconnect with what Jesus did, uh, all his ministry, dying on the cross, being resurrected, and then it would be like, okay, so what? I mean, that was like great, it was historical, it was incredible, God's gone uh, to heaven, and how does that impact you and me? And Acts is this incredible bridge between, if you would, the first acts of what Jesus did, coming as a human, dying on the cross, and then the, the second act of what Jesus did, working through the apostles, and then working through you and me to carry on the mission of the kingdom of God. So, you know, if in one sense you could say, Acts is Jesus part two. The Acts of Jesus part two. I mean, it's one way of, of looking at it. And so here we have the opening to this book. It says this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until he, the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, you know, here you got Dr. Luke. He said, okay, listen, I've given you the first book, Luke. And in that first book, I told you everything about Jesus or teaching, what he did. And now he has part two. And I'm going to tell you about 
Okay, after Jesus resurrected, uh, this is what he did, what Jesus did. But this time, Jesus is doing it through his apostles, through his people, and it's directly relevant to you and me because he's continuing on in this pr um, tradition. But here's the, here's the part um, that's interesting to me. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared <coughs> to the disciples from time to time, and this is what he did. When he appeared to them, he had like a, a very specific purpose and intention. He appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Okay, just, just let that sink in for a second here. He has the people, his, his disciples, that he's hung out with, he's done miracles with. They've seen him do miracles. They've been part of it. He's taught them. And now he's at the point where he has to prove to them that he's really alive. Uh, do, do you see the relevance of that? I mean, if you're having a crisis, if you're having a faith crisis, if you like, like don't understand something or you thought God was going to respond in a certain way and it's totally different, you can relate. The disciples were there. I mean, they had closer connection to Jesus than you and I probably ever have. And yet, they lost their faith. I mean, they like didn't get it. And yes, Jesus says, look it. I've got to prove something to you. I am Jesus. This really is me. I mean, I'm a resurrected body. I mean, you, you remember the discussions we had? And the disciples were like, yeah, I, I think I get it. You know, like, I believe, sort of. Like, I really believe. Uh, but then I kind of doubt. I mean, they, they're dealing with this incredible uh, tension. I mean, in the meantime, Jesus is saying, okay, look, get this quickly. I mean, you need your faith. You really need to believe in me because, man, I'm changing gears. And in that like mid-sentence, mid uh, he's changing gears. And he says, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Okay, so uh, if you're following in your bulletin insert, I've got two things to fill in there. Kevin, if you'll throw those up for me. The first one is dealing with doubt. And the, the second part is uh, your role in the in the kingdom of God, you know, what it is. What is your role in the kingdom of God? So here's the, the disciples. He's dealing with their doubt. And then, of all things, he talks to them about the kingdom of God. Now, this is, in one way, like a huge mystery. Of all the things that Jesus could have spoken to them about, I mean, he could have said, okay, here's the game plan, guys. Or, you know, Remember what we did together, or remember what a great time we had in the past, or, you know, this is what the Holy Spirit is, or, I mean, of all the things that Jesus would have, or could have, spent speaking to his disciples about, he chose to speak about the kingdom of God. Now, here in the vineyard, this phrase is a big deal. I mean, this understanding, like, what exactly is the kingdom of God, is, is a big deal. Uh, in many churches, you know, you just kind of brush over it. You're just like, oh, kingdom of God, I, I don't exactly know what that is. It kind of means something. Uh, but here in the vineyard, we really press in on that and like tease that out and try and extract the full meaning of it because it's a loaded, loaded phrase. And uh, if you do my one-on-one class, you'll notice that I say, if you want to belong to this church, if this is going to be your church home, uh, it's important that you kind of wrestle with this understanding of what is the kingdom of God. Uh, and so 
you know, I'm just taking a cue from Jesus, like Jesus saying, okay, guys, I want to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, in the previous book that Luke wrote, the book of Luke, the, the phrase, the kingdom of God, comes up 32 times. I mean, that's just like a lot. You know, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. So it's not something like we can just ignore. And in a, in a mysterious way, uh, as mysterious as like Jesus' resurrection and reappearing to his disciples and Jesus opens up this book of the kingdom of God, the book of Acts ends with Paul saying, okay, I, I'm a prisoner in Rome and I'm doing the stuff of the kingdom of God. Uh, so from beginning to end, we have this phrase, the kingdom of God. Anyway, uh, let me just press on a little bit. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the fa Father sends you the gift He promised. And I, as I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, so from Jesus' perspective, He's saying to these disciples, He's saying, listen, it was really good that you hung out with me, that you saw what I did, but it's more than just head knowledge. Uh, to live this life and to be part of advancing the kingdom you're going to need the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, this is like Jesus' words. You know, for us, and in church today, we're like, oh, yeah, Holy Spirit, something, kingdom of God. I mean, it's sort of vague. You know, I just need to learn the Bible. I need to learn the Bible. But, you know, and Jesus is saying, yeah, the Bible's like crucial. I mean, it's like who I am. But you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to just do normal Christian living. And the disciples needed it, and we need it. And that's why I'm excited about uh, Pentecost, because, you know, I take the church calendar and use the church calendar and say, at least like on that day, let's like focus on the Holy Spirit and let's focus on like intentionally receiving this, the Holy Spirit. Anyway, uh, in verse 6 it says, So when the uh, apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking Him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore the kingdom, our kingdom. Uh, you know, here's the, here's the challenge, and it's still a challenge today. Uh, we know as believers that Christ is going to return, and when He does, everything is going to be made, made right. He's going to restore this world, uh, renew everything, and we look forward to that with great uh, expectation and anxiety. I mean, there's a sense like, God, we need it, we want it to happen soon, and that's good. And so in one sense, the kingdom of God is that. It's the expectation that a superior kingdom to what we're living in today is going to take place with Jesus ruling, and it's going to be awesome. And there's a total normal expectation for that to happen. But when Jesus says it's going to happen soon, soon is a very relative term. And so this puts us in a tension of, of that aspect of the kingdom. It's sort of like this. It's like uh, you've got a young kid and you're going on a, a, a field trip, a car trip, and uh, you're going down the Cape and you sort of just get on 495 and your kid says, are we nearly there yet? You know, and you're like, well, uh, relatively speaking, yes, we, we, we're pretty close. We're nearly there. We, 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 we're going to get to the Bourne Bridge pretty soon. It's like an hour. For the kid, it's like, oh, that's, that's an eternity. But what about this? What about if you're on a, on a 
cross-country trip with your kid, and you, you're going to drive from, you know, Hopkinton to L.A., and you prep your kid. You say, okay, look, it's going to be a long journey. Uh, and the kid says, okay. And you, you're crazy enough that you're actually going to drive with your young kids from, you know, Hopkinton to L.A. Okay, and then finally, you, 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 you're you coming into Las Vegas, and your kid says, are we nearly there yet? And you would say, yeah, we're nearly there. I mean, we've only got a few more hours. I mean, relatively speaking, that would seem pretty close. You know, so the kingdom of God is like that. There's this mysterious part of it. It's like it's close. It's not close. We're nearly there. Yes, we're nearly there. Is it close? Yes, real close. But in other times, it feels like it's really distant. And so we, we struggle with this. Uh, the kingdom of God also has this dimension to it. Uh, if you... You know, if you just look back at, say, the book of Luke. Well, let me just do that quickly. If you go back into Luke, and I'm just uh, choosing chapter 13, because in chapter 13, uh, there's a number of parables that Jesus talks about where he's saying, hey, the kingdom of God is like this. And then he gives a few examples. So one is the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in it, in its branches. And then the next parable, uh, 1320, he also asked, What else is the kingdom of God like? It's like yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast uh, in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And then a whole different dynamic to the kingdom of God. Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door of God's kingdom. And you know, so again and again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this is what it's like. This is how you can experience it. And uh, we get the sense that when God is active and moving, the kingdom of God is present. And at times where we're praying and we don't see God moving, there's a sense that God is very, very close. And if we just press in and pray a little harder or persevere a little more, the kingdom of God is going to break in and things are going to change. And that's also part of the kingdom. The kingdom happens now, it happens in the future, it happens in the near future. But there's an anticipation that in God's timing and with God's work, uh, the kingdom of God is active. And so what Jesus is instructing his disciples back in Acts, he's just saying, hey, listen, guys, stay on track. Uh, Focus on the kingdom of God. Give your life to serving in the kingdom of God. And, uh, And the first question they ask is, Okay, when are you coming back? I mean, it's a natural question. It's like, okay, it's great, Jesus, when you're in control. But can you come back and totally be in control and rule? And Jesus is sort of saying, okay, 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 uh, that's important. But there's a whole like, time period between when I'm coming back that I need you guys to get going and get busy. It's not a matter of doing nothing and just waiting for me to come back. Uh, Jesus is saying, there's a whole lot that I want you guys to do, and directly is now saying there's a whole lot that he wants us to do about advancing the kingdom. And so he elaborates a little further. He says in response to the, the, the disciples' question, 
you know, when are you going to come back and restore the kingdom? Jesus says in verse 7, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. And then verse 8 is really significant. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, as we know, as we've read the rest of the book of Acts, uh, this is exactly what unfolds, right? The, the, the disciples get uh, imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. It totally transforms them. And then they start spreading the kingdom of God, starting locally, and they spread the good news about Jesus uh, further and further afar. And then the Apostle Paul does all these missions trips, and he's going like, you know, to the outermost places, and Christianity starts spreading. And it's continued to spread from that time uh, onwards until today. And Jesus tells us that he will return when the, the gospel, when the... When the the, the gospel of Jesus has been communicated to every nation or to every people group or to every tribe, you know, and we know just from people that study this stuff that almost every single people group uh, has been reached. And with a computerized age, more and more people have the ability to be reached. So it's soon now. <laughs> it's soon, like in Jesus' time, soon, soon, like Las Vegas, or soon, soon, like Bourne Bridge. I mean, it's soon. I, I, Jesus tells us. We don't know exactly when that is. Now, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Spain in our trip to Spain recently uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one, because we just come back from Spain, uh, obviously. Uh, but secondly, as this ties in to what I'm talking about and this idea of taking the kingdom of God and uh, spreading it further and further. Uh, it's an incredible challenge that God has given us as a church, and by definition, you and I personally. Y you know, you talk about being stretched. God has the way of really stretching us beyond our comfort zone. You know, just when we think, okay, this is what I'm going to do, this is what my week looks like, this is how I'm going to spend all my time and all my money, and, you know, what I want to be focused on, then God gets hold of your life and He just like stretches and you think, man, how can I do this? This is just impossible. I mean, how can I, you know, give money to the church and still pay my own bills? And how can I like, you know, take care of my kids and still do all the church activities? And I mean, you just feel stretched. A and so as a church, of course, you have to have a vision and, and a focus like who are we and what do we do? And, and I've, I've tried to articulate that uh, just a few weeks ago. And I want to say the main and the plain is this. The light of the gospel needs to shine the most brightly closest to the light, which for us, our focus point is, yeah, right, yeah, Hopkinson and Milford. I mean, the light needs to shine the brightest right here. But it also, God stretches us where it's not only here. He's saying, okay, go out into the rest of the world. And, you know, that's just like a, a daunting task. It's like, how does a little church like us go out into the big wide world and it's pretty big and it's pretty diverse and there's a lot of different languages and how do we really honestly make an impact how do we advance the gospel uh, and so for most of you i mean you don't have to think about this stuff but i do because this is god's mandate to the church 
Now, I'm also going to say this. It's not like the whole focus becomes missions and you just forget about what happens at home. Oh, no, no, no. It's both. You've got to be very active at home and you have to get involved in like overseas missions. Uh, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a major challenge. It's like really exciting. Uh, it's really, what did I say, challenging? It's challenging. And so uh, Phil Strout, who's now the leader of the Vineyard Movement in USA, uh, so for those of you new to the vineyard, there's like, I don't know, five to seven hundred vineyard churches in America. And our leader is a guy who uh, used to be the pastor up in Maine, and he oversees the whole of American vineyards. But the, the vineyard church has grown rapidly throughout the rest of the world. And so what's happened, when certain regions become pretty well populated with vineyard churches, they then become their own, um, like, unit. And so the person in charge of Central America, Latin America, Spanish-speaking world, is a person called Carlos Chacon. And he's got a church in Costa Rica. Okay, so he now does all that, and he does it totally independently from America. And, and so, so it carries on. Uh, so in terms of missions, we say, okay, how do we... Where are we going to go and how are we going to make a difference? So when I started in the church, it's like, oh, I got no clue. I mean, you know, I'm from South Africa. We could do stuff in South Africa. God's working in South Africa. S lots of awesome things are happening in South Africa. Why not go there? You know, and then I meet a whole bunch of you guys that are like doing stuff in China. Thanks, man. Herman was just inviting me. Hey, why don't we go to China? I'm like, I don't want to go to China. He said, but I spent six years in China. I can speak Chinese. I'll take you to my church. I'm like, no, I don't want to go. So, you don't look Chinese to me. I'm just pulling, pulling his leg because everybody says to me, you don't look African, you know. So, hey, we're in the you don't look Chinese and I don't look African. I mean, God's got a sense of humor. I don't, you know, I don't know how this works. But with missions work, it works. Anyway, so it's like, I, I, like China, no, I don't know. South Africa, I, no, I don't know. I don't speak any Spanish, but bizarrely, Spani Spain becomes part of the equation. How did this happen? Well, Phil Strout, having been a, you know, 10 steps ahead of me, he said, look, for a small church, you can't figure it all out. But if we all get together, we can figure stuff out collectively. And together, we can do more than what we can do individually. And so I'm like, okay, so... You know, I ended up going to Spain and being part of stuff in Spain. And, and, you know, very quickly you deal with failure. I mean, like a lot of failure. And you stare failure in the face. Like you try and do stuff and nothing happens. You watch other people try and do stuff and nothing happens. And you see people, like, be missionaries in Spain. And they, like, really understand how to be a missionary. And they total fail. Totally failure. I mean, it's, like, very frustrating. And you think, okay, can anybody succeed in Spain? And... And, you know, person after person, you're just saying, failure, failure, failure. And yet you're saying, God, what are you doing? How does this work? What's happening in Spain? And for one reason or another, which uh, is just, you know, where church is so different to business, uh, the, 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 this little partnership in Massachusetts and those that are part of the Spain thing, they just kept at it for like 25 years. We've been at, at this thing. And now, finally, after 25 years, we started to see some pretty interesting and great things happening. I mean, it's taken incredible perseverance. So uh, on this particular trip that I, I went on, uh, 
again, I had sort of come off, uh, you know, the, look, first I've been to Spain, I don't know how many times, like uh, eight times, I've lost count. And many of you have come on missions trips with me to Spain. Some of them have just been purely focused on, let's just pray. Let's just go to different towns and cities, and let's just pray for this country and pray for this place. Others trips have been, okay, let's be part of a church and do conferences and, and try and encourage. Others have been like, let's try and start a church. We, we, we've tried a whole bunch of things, and we've stared failure in the face of minimal progress. So uh, on this particular trip, I was a little gun-shy. I haven't been to Spain for like two and a half years. And uh, uh, the pastor, a vineyard church in Cordova, Spain, which is in the southern part of Spain, Andalusia, he invited me and he said, Rob, uh, I would like you to come and, and, be, uh, and visit us. And I was like, yeah, sure, but like, why? And he said, because he was with me when we were in, um, in Barcelona, and he was just noticing something about how I interacted in this particular case with a, a waiter that was serving our table when we were having dinner, where I had a prophetic word for this waiter, and I, and I gave this prophetic word to the waiter, and the waiter just like started bawling your eyes out. In fact, the waiter ran into the, into the restaurant, and the manager came out, and the manager thought I'd like assaulted her or, or something, and he was like, he was ready to rip my head off. And he's like, what did you do to my waiter? Of course, I don't speak Spanish. I'm going through an you know, interpreter. I'm like, oh, I really didn't do anything. And, and you know, finally I said to him, no, all I did is I told her that God loved her. And for this woman... She was just undone. I mean, I don't know why, but God was doing something in her. So when I told her that God loved her, she didn't just say, oh, that's nice, God loved me. She was like, what? And she just undone. So anyway, so, I mean, I don't think it was a big deal. It, it just, you know, God did something cool. Anyway, so the pastor of this church said, could you come back to Cordova and could you, like, talk to us about how does God work in the prophetic and what does the prophetic look like? And I don't claim to be the most prophetic person in the world, but, you know, I said, okay, sure, whatever. But at the same time, I said, look, uh, this other guy, Carlos Chacon, who runs the Central America vineyards, he was coming to Cordova, Spain, and I said, okay, why don't I come at the same time as Carlos? Because Carlos speaks Spanish, understands American, he could be a good bridge for me, he'll, he'll help us connect and see how I can be useful to this church, if I can be useful. And so... That was the idea, and Liz and I went out, and we connected with, with Carlos and, and connected with Paco, who's the pastor of the, of the church there, and we were working together, and, and, it, and it really went well. I mean, there was just a lot of uh, really great things, uh, great stories, I, I can tell you. God did a lot of really good things, uh, and uh, to the point where uh, Carlos is saying to me, he says, Rob, you need to come here twice a year. And I'm like, twice a year? I mean, like, once a year is a stretch. Now you, I mean, the kingdom of God just stretches you like, oh, twice a year. I'm like, even the thought, I'm thinking, how would I do that? He said, look, well, if you can. I mean, that would be ideal. And then Carlos says to me, he said, okay, I'm get, I'll get back to Costa Rica this week. I'll send you my schedule because I'll be back here in the fall. I mean, he just, like, comes to Spain and he's, he's part-time. I mean, he's doing Central America full-time. And he's still coming out there twice a year. I'm thinking, okay, okay. Anyway, uh, so... We try to work like a game plan. Like, how does this work for you, uh, Cordova Vineyard? And how does it work for us, Hopkinson Vineyard? And how could we 
work uh, like a working partnership relationship w what might this look like and uh, and Carlos is just saying Rob it's relationship they want relationship they want friendship that you know they're not interested in your wonderful preaching your wonderful other things whatever you're not interested in your wonderful strong American dollar they want relationship do you get it I'm like yeah what are we gonna do no 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 relationship I'm like yeah but what are we gonna do no relationship I said, okay, I get it. I, I think I get it. You know, there's a cultural difference. You know, Spain is like, Latin America is like, let's just hang out and talk. That's why they have lunch. It takes like three hours. <laughs> you know, I had the most amazing experience in the Madrid airport. I, I swear, I couldn't believe this. Leaving back here, the guy gives me a cup of coffee in, in, a, in a, like we do, in a paper cup. And the guy took like a whole minute to explain to me that this lid, this plastic lid, you put it on top of the cup. I'm like, this is Madrid. <laughs> this, this place is like happening. And this guy's so proud. He's like, yeah, you put it on and you go. <laughs> it's like a whole novel idea to them. <laughs> but you understand from culturally, we, we culturally, this was such a horrendous idea to Spain that like when McDonald's came, people were like rioting in the streets because it's going to destroy their culture. Because when you have coffee... In Spain, it means you sit down and you talk. You don't just like coffee and go, like we do in America. You know, drive a car, coffee, you go. No, no, it's like sit down and talk and take your time, like relationship. I mean, it's like, honestly, it's hard to get, hard to get used to. You know, you, gotta, you go and get coffee somewhere, any place in Spain. They don't bring you the bill. And it's like, okay, it's time to go. It's like, we've been here 15 minutes. I mean, how long does it take coffee? They don't bring the bill. You've got to learn Spanish quick. La cuenta por favor. Because if you don't learn that, you just sit there all day. It's dinner time, lunch, breakfast time. They just, because it, they don't want to be rude. They want to kick you out. Take your time. So anyway, there's a different culture. And they, he's saying, okay, we're going to work together as churches. Relationship is like a big deal. Okay, so I, I, I sort of get it. So anyway, um, uh, the other thing that uh, Carlos is telling me, he said, look, you've got to learn to speak Spanish. Uh, and another thing you need to do is you need to like, understand the culture. So, Kevin, there's a photograph I got you of Cordova. And, man, I tell you, this is like, if you're a historian or an archaeologist or something, you'll get revved up about these places. I mean, I walk in there and I'm like, the Romans built this? Th this is like 2,000 years old? And they're like, yeah, the Romans built this. This is the bridge that goes into Cordova, and they've got this tower out here. And okay, the Romans built it. Yeah, 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 okay. And then in the back, you got this thing called the mesquite, the mosquito. It was like a, a, a mosque. And then during the Inquisition, they kicked all the Muslims out. They kicked all the Protestants out, the few that were there. And they kicked all the Jews out. And then they changed this mosque into a cathedral and took a minarets and made them square and... So, you know, you go into the mosquito and it's like this beautiful, like, mosque thing intricately, which is now a cathedral. It's like very weird, you know. And so you, okay, so when was this happening? You know, you're going back in history and yeah, you are. You, again, you're walking on the roads that the Romans built and then the, when the Moors were there and, and then the, you know, the Catholic kings were ruling and, and now you're here today and, and some of the Spanish words have all this Muslim influence and then there's a cultural understanding of, what it means to get together and, and how you dialogue. And, uh, and Carlos saying, you've you got to get a gri grip on this stuff because when you relate to people, 
they're bringing this history and this tradition with you. So it's pretty easy to be misunderstood. Uh, and when you're trying to work together, uh, you want to make sure that you're not. So anyway, the, the long and the, the short of it is, um, one of the things I think we can work together on here, which helps us and helps them, uh, this girl on the left here, it, this is the family. This is Paco. No, that's me. That's me and, 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 and Liz and my wife and then the pastor's wife, uh, Elizabeth, and their daughter, Laura, or in Spanish, Laura. And so Laura is a millennial, and I spoke about millennials uh, before, and Laura is 25. And so tomorrow I'm going to make Laura a formal invitation to come and do an internship here with us for this summer. Okay, so just track with me for a second, because the question is, what's in it for, for us? What's in it for them? And why would she, she do this? Well, for us, uh, what's in it for us would be, Okay, Laura, why don't you come? You can work in children's ministry. You can help us in the summer while our children's teachers try and take a little bit of a break. And you can help serve uh, here in that capacity. You can also be a great relationship bridge between our culture and your culture, uh, about our church and your church. You understand you grew up in your dad's church. You can explain how that works there and how we do things. Uh, that would be helpful to me. Uh, it would be helpful if you teach me Spanish. Uh, I prefer it if I, you just laid hands on me and I could just speak Spanish. It would be great because I'm not, <laughs> you know, uh, I would love that. But, uh, uh, but anyway, there, you know, there's some reason why we would like it. And also, as I said, I want us to be very intentional about creating an environment for people that are millennials, 25, 35 years old, in this church because we don't have them. And I, and I want us to create uh, that space where people in that age group feel welcomed and uh, want to be here at our church. So uh, let's, you know, start getting people in that age group in our church. It would help us. And so she'll be helpful for that. But what's in it for her? Well, uh, she gets to America. She hopefully stays at our place and, and likes that or can stay with uh, some of you folks and gets to experience uh, American, American culture. She can learn to improve her English. She speaks English, but she can improve it uh, for sure, and I think she would like to do that. And, uh, you know, it's a short-term uh, thing where she can, uh, where she can um, be here. Uh, as she also would like to be mentored and uh, learn how we do things, uh, church things. So uh, I would appreciate it if you would join me in praying for her as she makes this decision and for us as we invite her, uh, if this would be the case. I, I left her with that idea that maybe we should do this, and, and she seemed like she was uh, keen on it. Uh, anyway, let me just uh, bring this to a close this way. God is always stretching us, and it doesn't matter where your faith is. God is always going to be uh, asking you to grow in faith. And uh, growing in faith is always a risky business of where we say yes or we say no. Yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I want to learn more. Yes, I want to know you better. Yes, I want to serve you better. It stretches us. And God is saying yes. And you all, we all, have a role to play in the kingdom. We all do. Uh, God is not interested in 
Okay, I stand up here and I just talk and I talk and I talk and you learn and you learn and you learn and you learn and then you die. That's, that's not church. That's just like, I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound that exciting. <laughs> but what is exciting is this, is I talk, uh, Jesus does something in your heart, and then the way that Jesus has uniquely wired you and gifted you, uh, you respond with those giftings and, and interests, and you serve the kingdom, and which is why Bernadette does a 201 class to figure out what is your gift, how do you do this, and how do you get plugged in. Uh, now, we all have a role to play on, on, a, on a level. We can all pray for advancing the kingdom. We can pray for the church. You can pray for me as we do missions work. You can pray for me as we, as we do, you know, reach Hopkins and Milford. Uh, you can be encouraging. It's very helpful to have people that are encouragers say yes and help, you know, and it's, it's helpful to have mentors. People that say, okay, I've done this already. It's not just my good idea. You know, it's not like I've never done this before, but let me tell you what, what I don't like. That's not very helpful. What is very helpful is when people said, I've done this before, now let me encourage you and help you as you do it. That's mentoring, right? Not just like criticizing. There's a, there's a big, big difference. So, you know, you can all be mentors. We can all help. We can all encourage. We can all be supportive of what other people are doing and, and help and, and mentor. And then you can do specific things, like maybe you're going to serve insurance ministry. Maybe you're going to do missions work. Maybe you're going to you know, you know, do evangelism in town. We can all invite people to church. We can all say, God, you know, my friends, you need God. Bring him. We can all be involved one way or another in the kingdom of God. And it's always going to stretch our faith. And we all have a role to play in it. That's the, the great thing about, uh, about the kingdom of God. And as I said in the past, Church is very different from business. This is not just our own intellect and our own smarts and our own gifting. We are 100% dependent on God. Nothing in church happens with any lasting, meaningful uh, substance unless the Holy Spirit empowers it, empowers you, empowers me, and allows it to happen. God is not interested in how smart you are or how athletic you are or how musical you are, just in your own strength. He's very interested in taking who he's made you to be and then using you as you work with the Holy Spirit and do the things that God has called you to do. And the mystery and the delight is for each of us to figure that out and to understand that it's a privilege to serve in the kingdom. And not only is it a privilege, but we need to figure out how do we do that. Uh, and so as we take communion today... I want you to just consider this. Uh, consider as you take communion, asking God, God, what is it that you're stretching me in my faith? Where is it that I have questions? Where is it that I doubt? Can you help me, Jesus, to shore that up? And at the same time, say, God, where is it that you want me to help in advancing the kingdom? What is my role? How do you, 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 how do you direct me in that? Now, what I don't want you to do for uh, communion is take on a very uh, non-spiritual mindset, which would be this. This is the critical mindset. The critical mindset would be something like this. What a dumb idea to do communion. I mean, like, what point does it make anyway? You know, like, bread, like wine, what's that going to do? I mean, if I take it or don't... Do you understand? I mean, like, communion, it's like, this doesn't really make sense. I mean, you can't look at it and... S I mean, you could be very critical about communion. On the other hand, it makes perfect sense 
Why? Because Jesus says, do it. Why? Because Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood. And if something happens in our head, it says, I don't fully understand this, but I do it. And Jesus is saying, yeah, this is part of the faith experience where we grow in faith and we are dependent not on our own intellect, but on God. And as we obey and as we do, God does something awesome. So when we have the worship team, come on up and uh, let's worship. Let's take communion and remember to ask God to deal with your doubts and to deal with your, your role in mission, what that's going to be, what has God created you to do and to be and how to do that. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that uh, you constantly stretch us, that you move us, that you're asking us to take the next step or to support somebody that's taking the next step or to encourage somebody that's taking the next step or doing something in ministry. And Lord, I just give up uh, your, your people. Uh, Lord, from the young ones to the, those that are uh, their teenagers, Lord, those in their 20s, uh, Lord, those in the middle of their career, those ending their career, those in, in retirement. Lord, you have a plan for everyone. And Lord, I just pray your blessing upon your people. Lord, that you'd raise their level of faith, raise their level of excitement, and raise the level of the things that you are doing. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen.